0: Good morning, everyone. My name is uh, David, and I'm uh, on staff here. And today I'll be preaching from Mark 2, uh, 1 to 12. And I want to start by asking all of you uh, a rhetorical question, some, for dramatic effect. Because I read online that that's how you grab your attention, right? (laughs) So, So here we go. Why are you here today? What brought you here this morning? And if you've been attending FEC regularly, why do you come to this service every week? In fact, why do you believe in God? And why does Christianity matter to you? Why do you follow Christ? And what is this gospel? that we're trying so hard to be centered on? What's this good news? I'm asking because we need to know for sure who we are, why we're here, and what we're doing. We need to know that. And before we we go any further, let me give you the answer. You and I are here today Believe in God. You and I follow Christ and have meaning in life because God forgave us. The common thread tying us together is that we've experienced God's love through His forgiveness. And it's because of God's forgiveness that we can be His people, His children. We can have a relationship with God, eternal life. We follow Christ. Christians, Christians are people who know that they've been forgiven, and Christianity is the result of God's forgiveness. And so it's right to say that we are gathered here today because of God's forgiveness. We wouldn't be here this morning without his forgiveness. And it's his forgiveness that's the only thing that mankind ever needed since the fall. And so, as our sermon today covers God's promise that He forgives us, I pray now. God, would you open our eyes so that we can see who you are, see the forgiveness that we need, the forgiveness that you showed us. And may we respond, glorifying you, loving you, devoting ourselves to you in a manner that is worthy. Amen. And so, if you haven't already, please turn with me to Mark 2 1 to 12. And we'll be going back and forth a bit, so it'll be helpful to have your Bibles out. And as we follow along this fascinating story, I'll be asking three questions to help us see our relationship with Jesus. And as we answer these questions by going through the passage, we'll arrive at the truth of God's forgiveness. So the first question is, how do we see ourselves? At this point in Mark's gospel in verse 1, we find that Jesus returned to Capernaum and was at home. And what did he return from? Chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was doing ministry throughout all Galilee. And this period of ministry ends with his popularity reaching a point where he could no longer openly enter a town and people were coming to him from every quarter. So even after Jesus returned to his home base in Capernaum, it's to nobody's surprise that people have found out where Jesus is and they go to him. And then in verse 2, it says that many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So imagine this, everyone. Imagine. The house is packed with people. And on top of that, Jesus is preaching the word, so everyone is listening intently. And these are details that set the stage for the drama that's about to take place. Mark paints this picture, in which if you had any ounce of nunchi, the social awareness of norms and etiquette, you'd be appalled by what happens next. Look at this with me. Verse 3 says, and they came, bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. Now, because they tried to go through the door, but they couldn't, they go up on the roof. And back then, the house in the story would have been a one-story building with stairs on the outside leading up to a flat rooftop. And the parallel in Luke 5 tells us that the men removed tiles, which could have been made of clay, and when they finally made a hole big enough, they lowered their paralytic friend down through the roof, laying on a mat. Now we do see admirable determination. But the lesson here isn't if at once you don't succeed, then try, try again. The point here is that these men have broken not just someone's roof, they've broken cultural norms, and they're causing a disturbance, being disrespectful, and even shameful. In terms of plot, you know the reason why. These guys wanted their friend to be healed. But in terms of universal truth, in terms of universal truth, the reason why these men dug through this roof and lowered their paralyzed friend is because of something that we all need to know about ourselves, and it's that we're broken. We need to see that we are broken. Because already in these three verses, we can see glimpses of the human condition. Our brokenness can be as visible as the physical illness of this man. Our brokenness can even be as hidden as the doubtful thoughts that the scribes had that we'll get to later. And all of this, all this brokenness is brought about by God cursing mankind and creation because of our sin. There's no denying that we are sinful. There's also no denying that we're broken. And the second thing, the second thing that we see of ourselves, because we keep getting exposed to our brokenness in all manner and degree, is that we are instinctively in need of a Savior. Let's remember, let's remember that just before chapter 2 begins... Mark describes that people were coming to Jesus from every quarter. And when Jesus came back to Capernaum, the people wouldn't let him rest. People were going to Jesus because he had an immensely growing reputation for teaching, healing, and casting out demons. And because because he might actually be the fulfillment of a long-awaited prophecy. And, And if Jesus wasn't the Messiah... If he wasn't, he'd at least be the greatest rapper of the decade, of the century. Now, that was the Jews back then, but don't we, don't we also look to salvation in all sorts of places, like, like it's a noun, in people, places, things, and ideas? History attests to this. And our lives attest to how we seek salvation in politicians, celebrities, family, friends. At home, we're definitely not at home. Good schools, bars, malls, PC bangs, the internet, next trending restaurant or cafe, the mountains, and food, careers, beauty, shopping, Happiness, love, honor, respect, acceptance, relationships, health, education, money, power, stability, reputation. We're doing so much to save ourselves and we're so desperate to look up to someone to tell us how to be saved. And from the moment we're born, we somehow know that we're headed towards something greater than just physical death and it's like the air isn't right for us and so our spiritual survival instincts kick in full drive and we're searching for salvation but in all the wrong places so here's why this matters listen the combination of our brokenness and our need for our savior means that we are unable to find God on our own See, some people claim to be agnostic, which is being open-minded, but still neither choosing to believe or not to believe. Some are polytheists and include God among others, while others believe whatever version of God that deviates from Scripture to satisfy themselves. Now, these aren't arguments against human brokenness, As if these are the instances where people are turning to God. No, rather, these are instances proving that our default state is broken, fallen, apart from God, and without the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot, we cannot come to God properly. And this isn't my evaluation This is based on God's standard and perspective. In Romans 1, Paul describes the universal human rebellion against God. And it's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. And he says that mankind, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is us. This is us, brothers and sisters. This isn't someone else's story. Whether we want to accept it or not, The reality, according to the God who made mankind, is that we have fallen deeply. So when you see someone else chasing after and pouring into whatever or whomever, don't judge. What that person is doing is just a reflection of what you're also doing. And how you see your neighbor, that's how you should see yourself. It's truly terrifying to face the truth that we don't really have anything meaningful in this short lifespan on earth. And even what we do have is so, so broken. Life without true salvation means that we're simply... Making the best of something we hope is good enough, but we know isn't. We're broken. We need saving. But we can't save ourselves, and so we need a Savior. And this is the biblical view, God's view for us. Therefore, when we see that the people flocking to Jesus are spiritually starving, when we see how desperate the paralytic and his friends are for healing, when we see the people on the subway, the buses, the streets today, how they're lost, how our families and loved ones are fragile, and how I, I am broken to the core. That's when we can start to see how Jesus sees us and why he has so much compassion and an unrelenting mission to restore our relationship with God. So we see ourselves broken and in need of a Savior. So the next question to help us see our relationship with God is, how does Jesus see us? And according to this passage, there are several things that Jesus sees. First, if we go back to verse 2, what was Jesus doing? preaching the word to them. Now, why was Jesus preaching to a crowd who invaded his personal time and space to the point where he couldn't even leave his house? I mean, this is, this is the introvert's version of being buried alive. <laughs> right. See, Jesus was preaching the word to them not just because it was a good opportunity to teach God's word but because it was something that the people needed to hear the gospel, the good news rest and personal space no longer mattered to him as much okay so pastors typically state how long they've been in ministry to prove a point and so let me do the same I've only been in full-time ministry for four weeks. It's, ex- it's exactly a month to the date today. Only four weeks. And I can already guess that my MBTI's introversion score probably went up twenty percent. And it just went up another ten. Look, I really, I really do, I really do love ministering to you. And serving this church in so many ways, this is a dream job for me. You have no idea how God has provided. But I'm also the guy, during COVID, who went to a movie theater with nobody in the seats. And I couldn't stop smiling. I I can't remember anything more beautiful than the empty streets of Myeongdong. I will never forget that. If you're introverted, please agree with me silently, and let's not make eye contact. Okay. So the burning question I have when I'm reading this is, why is Jesus preaching to them? This word had to have been something important for them to hear, right? Luke four gives us insights. Forty two. Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So back to the story. The crowds fill his house seeking fulfillment from Jesus who in response preaches the gospel according to the Old Testament. And the paralytic man appears seeking physical healing. And when Jesus sees him, he looks right through the physical brokenness and straight into the inner sinfulness and says in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. So when Jesus sees us, he sees the entirety of who we are not just the physical, emotional brokenness, but Jesus sees a nature that has taken root at the core of every human heart. Now this passage is often preached to highlight the men's faith and the extent to which they are seeking out Jesus. And Jesus does, in fact, respond to the paralytic because he saw their faith. He saw the faith of the paralytic and the men who brought him. And Mark, in his gospel, highlights several instances when an individual's faith prompted Jesus to heal. You have the woman who bled for 12 years, the Syrophoenician woman. So yes, yes, we too. We too need to be extremely bold in putting our faith in Jesus, and we need that. I'm not denying that. But for this passage today, I'd like to focus on the fact that Jesus did not respond right away to their faith by healing the paralysis. Rather, Jesus responded first by addressing the paralytic's sins. And this was not what the people were expecting. You can clearly, clearly see this with the Pharisees, the Scribes' reactions. Jesus sees our brokenness all throughout this world. But ultimately, the pinnacle of our brokenness isn't sickness, warfare, poverty, injustice, or even physical death in and of itself. The pinnacle of our brokenness is how it is permanently solidified our separation from God, and causing us to turn from God and harden our hearts against him. In Psalm 14, King David writes, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. Not even one. How broken and sinful are we that we live in a world that God made? We exist as creatures made in God's image, and yet we absolutely fail to see our Creator God. And so when Jesus sees the paralytic, what's being highlighted in the text is that Jesus is God. And he sees all things. He sees the illness and pain in the man. But he also sees the sin that leads to the separation from God. Jesus being human probably never met this man before. But Jesus being God saw all of him. And you know what? He's been seeing all of us. And how nobody's been able to escape sin since creation. so what this means is that for Jesus, he saw not just a priority, but the greatest urgency that we need forgiveness. Now there are three things, three things I'd like to mention about the word forgiveness that we see here in verse five. It's not explicit in the text, but I need to share this with you because this is awesome. First, The word for forgiveness here means to release from legal or moral obligation or consequence. To release from legal or moral obligation or consequence. Now it's the judicial term that affects one's legal standing or position. And when this word for forgiveness is being used, the paralytic is essentially no longer guilty for his sins that were forgiven. But this word being used also implies that someone with the rightful authority needs to be the one exercising this kind of forgiveness. Second, this word must be understood in a Jewish context. Jesus, who's using this word, is Jewish. Capernaum is a Jewish town, so the people who are gathered there are most likely Jewish. And the scribes who are there also. They're the religious teachers of the Jews. And in the Old Testament, which was the Jewish Bible then, you won't find that many instances of the word forgive, which is surprising for us because the Jewish religion is centered on God's forgiveness. There is, however, a colorful range of imagery and synonyms for forgiveness, like pardon, atone, cover, blot out, remember no more, purify, wash, And more importantly, forgiveness was something that the people needed and God could give. And only God was the one who could forgive their sins because they knew that all their sins were ultimately against God. And so in Genesis, when Joseph is tempted by his mistress to commit adultery, he explains that betraying his master would be a sin against God. And likewise, King David, after sinning gravely against others, repents to God against you, and you only have I sinned. And so all of our sins, too, ultimately are against God. And that's why it's only God who's able to forgive. And the third point about the word forgiveness in verse 5 is that Jesus himself, is claiming to be the one forgiving sins here. See, notice that this word is in its passive form, are forgiven. And that begs the question, right? Who's forgiving? Well, of course, God is. And that's why this type of passive verb is often called a divine passive. God is understood to be the subject. But, if we think about this a bit more, is Jesus here claiming that it was God and not himself who forgave the paralytic sins. No. And the scribes' reactions clearly shows that they understood that it was Jesus. Jesus was saying it was himself who was the subject, forgiving sins. He was the agent of forgiving. And so the judicial sense, the Jewish context And even the grammar behind this word forgiveness here all points to Jesus as the one who has the authority to forgive sins. And when Jesus is saying to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, he is either absolutely blaspheming to the highest degree, or he has to be God in flesh. And so we reach this critical moment in the story where we need to answer for ourselves how we see Jesus. And that's our third and final question for today. How do we see Jesus? And the scribes are sharp. And immediately pick up on this, thinking, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus is even sharper. In fact, he's omniscient. Theologically, the salvation of mankind is at stake here because he's been preaching God's word and the good news of God's kingdom, and he's claimed that the man's sins have been forgiven. So there needs to be someone to show for all this now, and the time's now. And he shows for it in a classic Jesus kind of way that leaves you speechless. Verse 9 Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. You just can't. At first, it seems like telling someone that they're forgiven is easier because that's invisible. But we know that only God can forgive, and we're not God. So we're forced to choose that telling a paralytic to get up is easier, which still isn't. And so the point here is that it's not our place. To decide. It's not our place. We think we have authority, but it falls infinitely short of God's authority. And the point here is that Jesus does have the authority to do both, and so he does both. He heals the paralytic to show that he can command sickness at his whim, And his healing in turn proves that Jesus has the divine authority to forgive sins. So game, set, match. And the people there are all amazed. And they glorify God. They've never seen anything like this. It's truly amazing. But while Jesus claimed the authority to forgive, and he claimed that the man's sins were forgiven already, there's still needed, They're still needed to be a sacrifice for this forgiveness. Jesus knew that the forgiveness was already given, but that was only because he was going to be the one who would make that happen. See, if God didn't commit to forgiving us, then the Bible, Christianity, and the meaning of life all gets thrown out if God didn't commit to forgiving us, then we wouldn't need to be sitting here right now. I would have chosen the wrong career, and there'd be no real point to anything we do, because in the end, as we stand before God, bearing our sins against him, we would not be forgiven. There'd even be no way to be forgiven, because if is there anything that we have that isn't touched by sin... Is there anyone here today who has no sin at all, is as pure and holy as God is, and is worthy of being offered as a sacrifice to cancel our sins? No. No, there isn't. The more time I spent on this sermon... the more I was convicted of how lightly I had been taking God's forgiveness. As if forgiveness was only tied to the moment of my conversion, like an event in the past. But am I not still sinning? Even though I'm saved? Exactly how am I being considered righteous and innocent before God's judgment? In fact, clothed with God's own righteousness. Because I know myself, I know my thoughts, my intentions, my judgments, my actions. I sin again and again. And I hold on to the truth that God has forgiven my sins. But I keep sinning day after day, month after month, year after year. And at some point, I realize, no, God, it's not okay anymore. I really don't deserve this grace. I see that I deserve punishment. But even if I do get punished, that wouldn't stop me from sinning. So, why is all of this? Why are all my sins forgiven? What on earth is so powerful, so great, that God, you're saying that my sins are forgiven? That's Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. That's true grace. It's an incredible mystery how Jesus' sacrifice was God's plan to forgive us and restore us to him even before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Amen? But while Jesus claimed the authority to forgive, and claimed that the man's sins were forgiven already, there still needed to be a sacrifice for forgiveness. And so there's an intensity in the entire Old Testament as a narrative drives towards God's salvation through his forgiveness. And God's forgiveness is made possible because of who God is and what he's done for us on the cross. And so we have a choice today, people. To reject Jesus' authority and not believe in him. Or to recognize his authority and believe in him. And if we choose to believe in Jesus and believe that he's forgiven us, there's something that we must do. You must do. Now, there's a lot to be said on the practice of forgiveness, but you've been very patient with me so far, so I'm going to refer you to sermons preached here before at FEC. So there are uh, sermons such as Forgive One Another by Pastor James and the Philemon series by Pastor Levi. For today, though, I'll specifically mention two things that we have to do. First, we must continue to repent and ask God for the forgiveness of our sins that we commit. And second, we must forgive others as we've been forgiven. Scripture clearly states that we are forgiven in our standing before God. We are. So while we're bathed, therefore clean, our feet still get dirty. That's John 13. And also, when Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer, he teaches them to pray for forgiveness. And so, Matthew 6, verses 11 to 12 give us this day. And if you know this, please recite this with me. I'll say it again give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Jesus goes on to explain the forgiveness part of prayer in verses 14 and 15. And this isn't on the screen, so listen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses... Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You cannot, you cannot say that you know God's forgiveness if you yourself don't forgive others. You just cannot. And I cannot say that either. We are called, all of us, to forgive one another, and that's probably one of the hardest things we can ever do. And it's certainly not my thing. But it is God's thing. It's our sin that kept us from having a relationship from God. And it's his forgiveness of our sins that reconciled us to him. So if we want to bear God's image today, then we need to practice what God did for us. I don't have my own kids So I'm going to sell my eight-year-old nephew, Johnny, right now. (laughs) Johnny, he loves to play soccer. He loves to play it now, as of yesterday. I talked with him on the phone. But he used to low-key hate soccer, even though he was pretty good at it. Do you know why he kept playing soccer? It's because his dad did, and he was even better at it. So if our Father in Heaven has forgiven us, then you can bet that His children will want to copy Him. And you can bet that He would love for His children to do what He's done. And so people of God, we have a God who's forgiven us and continues to forgive us when we repent and forgive others. Our God is fully committed to forgiving us. His forgiveness is why we're gathered here today. Why we are his people. And why we have an unshakable identity in our God. So please, let's not take this for granted ever. I'd like to ask the praise team to come up now as we close our sermon. And can we take this time to go to God now and and just dwell in the forgiveness that we've received, that we know that is true and has happened. because we can never really have enough of God's forgiveness. So can we take this time now to repent to God?